Please, I'm an attorney. Basically, they're looking for smart people, analytical people, to solve problems. It's also possible for a lawyer to be just plain stupid, isn't it? I mean, it's possible. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today, I thought it was time to go back to law school once again. We've talked a little about my law school experiences earlier this year, and I'm trying to add some episodes talking about them as we go throughout the year. Don't want to bore you with too much law school, because let me tell you, law school can be exciting, can be nerve-wracking, it can also be really boring. Some of the readings, some of the stuff we had to do, oh my god. Mrs. GamerDude listened to the last episode and said, who would do that to themselves? And I said, well, me, but a lot of people do. It's interesting, in my law school class, I was a little older, because as you probably can put together from other things I've talked about, I went to law school after having worked for about four or five years. So I had a slightly different perspective from some of my classmates. Some of my classmates went to law school directly from undergraduate. So they literally graduated from college, then went right to law school with no break. And being in school for a long time gives you a different perspective than if you've been out of school, been to work, trying to find jobs, and then you go to law school. But also in my law school class, there was a 55-year-old minister. He started law school at the age of 55. And I asked him, why are you starting at 55? And he said, because it's something he always wanted to do. I mean, you got to give him credit. He wanted to do it, and he did it. There was also a stay-at-home mom who was in the class who decided she wanted to go to law school in her 40s. But by and large, for the most part, it was all people fresh out of undergrad. Now, earlier this season, I talked about why I went to law school. But today, what I wanted to talk about was kind of the day-to-day and some of the stuff you had to deal with in law school and how I handled it. Everybody handles it differently because everybody's unique. I had my own view of how I wanted to handle law school, how I should handle law school, and everybody does. Everybody handles it differently. Some folks come in, especially the ones out of undergrad, and see it as an extension of just the university experience, which it's not. It can't be. You can screw around and have fun and party in undergrad. If you try to do that in law school, you are not going to make it. And we had a few people not make it because they didn't have the right attitude. For me personally, I was super serious because I had worked for a few years. I knew what it was like outside of law school. And I knew that I had given up a job and taken out loans so that I could afford to and have the time to go to law school full time. So when I finally got to law school, I had committed in my head to treat this as my job. Now, obviously, I wasn't getting paid. It wasn't a paying job. It was like a three-year internship, one that I was paying for. But I knew that if I wanted to succeed, I was going to have to take it seriously, and I did. Just like my regular job, I got up every morning. If I didn't have a class first thing in the morning, I started studying. Then I drove to campus and went to class. After class, I would stay at the campus, I'd study in the law library, I'd get the readings done, I'd get my outlines done, and I'll talk about outlines in a minute, and then I'd go to my next class. And I did that Monday through Friday. If I hadn't completed all of my work during the study time that I set aside for myself in the afternoon, I would finish the readings, I would finish the outlines, and get ready for the next day's work. And that carried over to the weekends, too, because there is a lot of reading, and there is a lot of writing. I mentioned outlines. When you're taking a class in law school, you have to outline it. And by outlining the class, you have to understand broad concepts, and then you have to be able to break down those broad concepts into their component parts. And when you're doing that, you have to understand the principles of law underlying those component parts. I know, it sounds exciting, right? I can already see Mrs. Gamerdude rolling her eyes at this. (laughs) Oh, God. 
But that's what you do. That's what you do. That's what you have to do. And so as you go through a course through the entire semester, you're outlining what you've discussed in class that day, what's in the readings, what the cases are that apply to that particular principle of law. And you do it in a kind of a bullet form so that when it comes time to study for the final, you have everything laid out. And an outline of a course, it's not one or two or three pages. A law school outline for a semester's course can be 25, 30 pages long because there's a lot of information you have to know about property law, contract law, constitutional law, whatever the topic is. And so there's a lot of reading to go with that and there's a lot of writing to go with that. Now, don't get me wrong. There is time to socialize, and you absolutely have to socialize. You have to take breaks from the reading, you have to take breaks from the writing, and you have to take breaks just to maintain your sanity. The old phrase, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, is true. So you do have to make time for play. And I did. That first year was quite an adjustment, because you're used to one kind of lifestyle. And when you go into the law school setting, it's an entirely different kind of lifestyle. It's a different kind of mindset. So you have to adjust your way of living and your way of thinking to fit these new rhythms of your life. Now, through hanging out in class and hanging out after class, sitting in the law library, answering questions, sitting next to somebody in class, you start to meet people, you know, the usual way. You just start to interact with people and you start to meet people. You start to relate to people. You also start to avoid people, too. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm not hanging with that guy. And it's interesting. I was trying to figure out how I came across my group of friends in law school. And I don't specifically remember how we got together. I mean, I know we all shared the same classes together. The school did mix people up. You didn't have the same 27 people in every class. But you might share classes with six or seven of the same people. And so you see familiar faces, you strike up conversations. And somehow or other, I wound up finding a bunch of basketball buddies. I don't remember how. But one of the guys in my class was about my age. He'd been out for a couple of years. He actually was an assistant coach in basketball. And we became friends. And he and I met some other basketball fans. And somehow or other, we found out that the constitutional law professor was also a basketball fan. Now, the way the scheduling worked, our little group had the same morning class. I think it was property law. It might have been torts. I don't remember. But we had that class at 830 in the morning. It would run about an hour and a half. So we'd be done at 10. That was three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then paired up with that class was, I think it was property law. It's funny, you'd think you'd remember that stuff, but I don't remember the exact schedule. I remember the classes, I just don't remember what days they were. But I think it was property law, also Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And that would meet at about 1 o'clock. So we would have that period of time between 10 and 1, where we could either study in the law library, go back home and study there, or what we wound up doing, we could go to the rec center, the recreation center, the gym, whatever you want to call it. We could go over there for some basketball. And so what happened is our little group of people, our little group of 1Ls, that's what you're called, first year law student, 1L, our little group of 1Ls would go over to the rec center after that morning class. We'd hit the floor by about 1030 because they had a locker room we could change. So we would bring our bag of books for classes and also our gym bag for our basketball sessions. Now, we didn't do it every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday because there was a lot of demands on our time because of class. But when we didn't have demands on our time, or when we could put off the studying till a little later in the day, we would go over to the gym, we would play basketball for two hours before that one o'clock class. And when this constitutional law professor found out about us, he actually came and joined us, which is kind of a cool thing. You get to mingle with one of the professors. And it was really interesting on a number of levels because it humanized him for us, but we also learned a little about him. And one of the fun facts we learned is he was a con law professor at our university, but he was also a sports agent. 
He actually represented some of the Cincinnati Bengals football players and said he would tell us stories about what it was like to be a sports agent. I had never thought of lawyers being sports agents, but he was. And it was really cool to hear his stories. He actually also invited us over to his house because he had a basketball court in his backyard. He had paved a whole area of his backyard and had a full court basketball court in his backyard. And he invited our little basketball group over to his house a couple of times, which was also kind of cool. Our little basketball sessions lasted throughout that first year. Our schedules changed the second year, so it wasn't quite as regular the second year. But during that first year, the first two semesters, pretty similar schedules. We had to adjust the times during the second semester. But we played basketball two hours a day, at least twice a week, except during finals time, of course, because nobody has time to do anything but study during finals week. But yeah, we played a lot of basketball. And it was kind of cool to be playing basketball at 10 in the morning when I was used to working. Granted, I studied at night then. On basketball days, I would have my hours of studying extend into the evening, but I had the time to do it. I mentioned the con law professor was also a sports agent. One of the other things that I found interesting about law school was who is recruiting lawyers for jobs. Now, naturally, all of the law firms are recruiting, public defenders' offices are recruiting, various prosecutors are recruiting. But one of the most interesting presentations that I attended that first year was by the FBI. Yes, that FBI. The Federal Bureau of Investigation goes to law schools and recruits potential agents from law students. Obviously, you have to graduate, but as it turns out, and I talked to the recruiter after the presentation, the FBI likes to recruit people who have that legal training, that analytical mind, the way to think about cases and situations by analyzing all of the factors, by approaching a problem from multiple sides. And I was actually tempted by the FBI recruiter. But the only problem with that was I had this mindset that I was going to be a lawyer and that I wanted to be a prosecutor. So I didn't want to give up that potential direction by going into the FBI. But it was interesting and it was tempting. The other agency or institution, I guess is a better way to put it, that also recruited at law schools was the JAG Corps, the Judge Advocate General. That's the legal branch of the military. I don't know if you know the old show JAG, which is Judge Advocate General. That was an old TV show about lawyers in the Navy. The JAG Corps is the military attorneys. There's something called the Military Code of Justice, which is different from criminal law and different from civil law. There is law that applies strictly to the military. And soldiers need lawyers, and the military needs prosecutors. And so they have a whole separate corps of attorneys purely for military purposes. Now that interested me as well. I mentioned in previous episodes when I was really young, one of the branches of the military I was thinking of going into was the Navy. And so here I was in law school 15 years later, and here comes the Navy again in the form of the JAG Corps. I mean, it could have been Navy, Army, Marines. They have attorneys in every branch of the services. And I actually did go through the interview process and the application process for the JAG Corps because it did interest me. However, one of the conditions of the JAG Corps is you actually have to be in the military to be part of JAG. You can't be a civilian attorney and be in the JAG Corps. So you'd have to sign up for the Navy or the Army or the Marines or the Air Force. Whichever service you applied to, you would be a member of that branch of the service and a JAG attorney. I ultimately decided not to go into the Navy and join JAG for reasons that are too complicated to go into for this episode. Maybe in the future we'll get to that. But it was a viable option for me. It was on the table. I'm glad I didn't go that way, but it would have been interesting. It would have been interesting. But the JAG Corps was something I never knew about until I got to law school. But that's one of the things that I discovered that first year of law school. There were a lot of different opportunities as a lawyer to do different things. 
and it was interesting to me to see what those things were. But I didn't do any of those things. I went through the normal course. Actually, I went through an accelerated course of study at law school. As I mentioned, I got out in two and a half years because I was paying for this myself. And I figured if I could get out in two and a half years instead of three years, I saved myself six months of tuition and food and rent, stuff I wouldn't have to take loans out for. So that was my plan. And that's what I did. But to do that, I had to make some changes in law school. I mentioned you really can't work in law school until after your first year because you don't have time, and most law schools don't want you to anyway. They want you to focus on those first-year courses. But after that first year, they want you to have a clerkship. They want you to have a job both to start opening doors for your future possible employment and also to put your research and analysis skills to work. But because I wanted to graduate in two and a half years, I had to go to school during summer. So my options were limited. As it turns out, after my first year, one of the professors at my law school was looking for a research clerk, so I was able to get a job with him doing research exclusively for him, for which I got paid, which was nice, and I could also stay in my apartment and take classes all summer, which is what I did. Now, I missed out on working at a law firm, but I wasn't too worried about that because I knew that I had a clerkship coming up at the end of my second year as well, and I would just find a good clerkship then. I wasn't sure if it would turn into a job, but at least I'd have that clerkship experience. So that first summer, I was researching and writing for the professor and also going to class. And then the second year started in September, and I took second year classes. But I'm jumping ahead a little. I mentioned previously that two of the things that you strive to be a part of during that first year is the Law Review, which was the law school's magazine. I know that makes it sound very simple. It's not like People or Time or Newsweek. It's not like Entertainment Weekly. It's not that kind of magazine. It's a professional magazine, or at least it was. I actually haven't looked at a law review in a long time, so I don't know what kind of form they are now. Probably digital. But being on law review was a prestigious thing. You had to have excellent academic credentials to even be invited to write for the law school law review. Yeah, I say it in that voice because you had to have that kind of attitude to be on law review. Well, I am a legal writer now. I can fake that attitude, but it's just tiresome. And I love to write, and I'll try not to break my arm patting myself on the back, but I'm really good at writing, especially legal stuff. But even back then, I didn't really want to get bogged down with a lot of legal writing. It was prestigious, sure. It would have looked good on my resume, sure. And I was invited to join, but ultimately I decided not to, because my interests were in the courtroom. I wanted to be a trial attorney. I wanted to go into court. I wanted to try cases. I wanted to be in front of juries. I didn't envision myself at the time in front of the appellate division or the Supreme Court, but I did envision myself in court trying cases and doing closing arguments to juries. That's what I pictured for myself. And that's what led me to the other thing that you want to be a part of in law school. That was moot court. As I mentioned in the last episode I did about law school, moot court is like pretend court. You're not really pretending you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, but it's all about decided cases or moot questions, questions that have all been decided already, and you're just presenting a new case based on these decided questions. And so I was invited to join the moot court team, and I took them up on it because that's what I wanted to do. As it turns out, they didn't want me for the trial team. They wanted me for the appellate team. They already had people in mind for the trial team. They wanted me to do appeals. Now, the difference between a trial attorney and an appellate attorney is this. A trial attorney goes into court. They have a case to present or a case to defend. You gather your evidence, you line up your witnesses, you seat a jury, and you have to make your case to the jury. You have your witnesses testify, you present your evidence. As a defense attorney, you have your witnesses testify, you cross-examine the prosecution's or the plaintiff's witnesses. But as the defense attorney, you present your defense witnesses, any defense evidence you have, 
Then you write up your closing arguments and you make your presentation to the jury. And then you hope the jury goes your way. That's trial work. Appellate work is when you get the transcript of a trial. By transcript, I mean it's a booklet with all of the testimony that was presented to the jury, and you get all the evidence. If it's a murder trial, the knife, the broken window, if it's a contract claim, the broken washing machine, whatever it is. Whatever the evidence is, you get that, and you can review it. But as an appellate attorney, you review the transcript, you review the evidence, and you review the law. And as the appellate attorney, you write a brief to the appellate division that tells the appellate division why the trial was decided wrongly. It could be an evidence question. It could be a legal question. It could be the judge was biased. It could be any number of things that you raise on an appeal. And you put that in a brief. By the way, as an aside, a legal brief can be anywhere between 50 and 100 pages long. And it's anything but brief. Leave it to lawyers to call a 100-page document a brief. But that's what they're called. So you write your brief to the appellate division, and then if you request it, the appellate division will schedule your case for oral argument in front of an appellate panel. An appellate panel is like a small version of the Supreme Court of the United States. Well, every state has an appellate process, and usually it's a three-judge panel. Sometimes it's even a two-judge panel. And you present your appeal to that appellate panel, and you try to convince the appellate panel that the trial court screwed up here, and sometimes here and here and here. And an oral argument to an appellate panel, that's where you argue the value of your case, whether the facts were decided wrongly, the law was applied incorrectly, the judge was biased. That's where you make your argument. Nine times out of ten, you don't win at the appellate level, but you give it a shot because that's what you're supposed to do. So that's appellate law. And the team that I was invited to join in law school was the appellate team, which was fine. I mean, I was going to be writing briefs, for sure I had to do that, but moot court focused a lot on the oral presentation and the arguments that you made. And that's what I liked. Okay, I wasn't pitching to a jury. I had to be convincing to judges instead. I'm a ham. I could do it. And so that's what I wound up doing. Now, the cool thing about moot court, unlike law review, there are actually competitions between law schools. There are regional competitions, like in your state, and then there are national competitions. So there are regional trial moot court competitions and regional appellate court competitions. And what happens is each law school in a state, in my case it was Ohio, sends their best two teams to the competition. And then they have volunteer judges, not real judges, although sometimes they are real judges, but they invite prominent judges, prominent attorneys to act as the judges of these competitions. And then they evaluate who presents their case the best. And so our law school team was invited to participate in all of these competitions. And I got to go. And that was a lot of fun. Because not only were you putting yourself out there doing the job, but you were competing against other people also doing the same thing and having independent judges tell you how well you were doing or how poorly you were doing. Our team did really well. I'm trying to remember how we placed in the region. I don't think we won the region. I think we came in second, but I don't remember 100%. But I was recognized best oralist in the region. It's not what you think. Best oral arguer. Keep your mind out of the gutter. Best oral arguer. And that was an indication to me that I was doing the right thing. And I was pretty good at it. But I'll never forget the statewide competition. We did pretty well in that. We were invited to the regional competition on the national level. We did pretty well on that. We didn't win either one. But we did really well. And it felt good. It was a great experience. And it's something I'll never forget. So that's something that I did starting in my first year and carrying over to my second year. I couldn't participate third year because I was graduating halfway through. But I had one really great year of moot court, and I loved it. But talking about that second year, 
I had done my first clerkship with my law school professor. At the end of the second year, I had to find another clerkship. The reason being, your second year clerkship often leads to a job that is your first job out of law school. And since I didn't have a first year clerkship, I really needed a second year clerkship. But I also needed to keep going to class because in order for me to graduate in two and a half years, I had to continue to attend class. That was a challenge because I had to attend class in Toledo, but I couldn't get a clerkship in Toledo. Ohio is a big state. The next biggest city is Cleveland, and that was a two-hour drive. Right outside Cleveland is Akron, further south is Columbus, and due south of Toledo is Cincinnati. Now, Columbus and Cincinnati were out. They were two-and-a-half-hour drives. There was no way I was going to be able to pull off a commute either to Columbus or to Cincinnati. Cleveland was going to be tough. Akron was going to be tough. But I wanted to get a clerkship in a big city because everybody said, that's what you need to do. You need a clerkship at a big firm in a big city. Now, don't misunderstand. There are lots of law firms in Ohio. But a lot of those smaller places in towns like Sandusky and Bowling Green and Finley, they fill up quick, usually with local people. You have to go to the big city at a big firm to get a clerkship. To make a very, very long and complicated story short, I know, too late. But to try to make a long story short, I wound up with a clerkship in Akron. I obviously worked there five days a week. I only had to take one class that summer, and I was able to schedule it at night. And it met, I think it was twice a week for two hours. So what I would do is I would do my clerkship. I'd finish up at five, hop in the car, drive two hours to Toledo, take my two-hour class from seven to nine, and then drive back to Akron so I could be at work the next morning. It wasn't easy, but it was doable. Now, the law school clerkship experience is interesting because you got two things going on there. You're trying to sell yourself to the law firm so that they make you an offer at the end of the summer of a job when you graduate. The law firm is also trying to sell itself to you so that you want to go work there after you graduate. So they do all kinds of things to try to appeal to you. This clerkship that I went to, they did all kinds of fun stuff. None of which I'm sure they did to actual employees, but they did to try to woo the law students into a job there. We had a company picnic at one of the partners' houses. Big old barbecue. There was a pool there. They took us all to the racetrack. I don't know why the racetrack, but that's where they took us. They gave us each 50 bucks to go bet on races. They had mixers. They had little office get-togethers. They were trying to sell themselves as a wonderful place to be. And at the same time, I had to be on my best behavior. I had to do my best work. I had to be a charming individual so that they would offer me this great job at the end of my third year. Well, to cut to the chase, they didn't impress me and I didn't impress them. Because halfway through the summer, I had already decided, God, I hope they don't make me an offer. And the end of the summer rolls around, they told me, we're not going to be making you an offer. And I tried to act disappointed, but it was then that I realized... I didn't want to work at a big law firm. I had no interest in working at one of those firms with the marble floors and the mahogany furniture. I was not that kind of guy. I've never been that kind of guy. I knew at that point that I wanted to work for small firms, doing important stuff for regular people. The one thing that I got out of that clerkship was that direction. If I couldn't be a prosecutor, at the very least, I wanted to be one of those guys who works at a small firm and makes a difference for everyday people who can't afford those big, high-priced law firms. So the clerkship experience was good. It was a great learning experience. It's just kind of weird that that's how you have to look for your job out of law school. It's a weird little process. Now, I don't know if it's changed over the years. My understanding is it's basically the same, and it's really kind of a weird way to try to get your first job. But that's the way they do it.
So that's basically three years of law school in a nutshell. Was there a lot more that went on? Oh yeah, of course there was. But those are the highlights. And that doesn't even get to the bar review. There's a whole process to take the bar exam, but I'll talk about that in another episode. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here. I really do appreciate all your support and all the time that you spend here. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.